0: Hi there! I am, from this episode onwards, you can call me Al. It's been a, uh, i I've been going by as AR this whole time, and I thought it'd be kind of fun if you knew what the A stood for, but never RK, so that's where the mystery remains. Uh, welcome back to the Lore Research Lab, and if you're new here, welcome to the Lore Research Lab, where I ramble about Nintendo video games. This is the 90th log and the 11th theory, looking at the Pokémon franchise. This is going to be a lengthy episode, folks. There's going to be a lot to cover. Today's thesis. What uh, potential timelines or timeline exist for legendary Pokemon? What is the scheme they operate within? And is there a way we can categorize their role in Pokemon lore specifically, myth, and all the stuff in between? It's time to deep dive, folks. Okay, so this is going to be a pretty bulky episode. There is a lot to unpack. Um, I'd say that normally I refer listeners to check out the Lore Research Lab reference episodes and definitely still do that. But the most important episode you should listen to before listening to this one is Season 3, Episode 17. And that is where I talk about um, creation myth in the Pokémon universe. And that was definitely the predecessor to this episode. Um, You could call this one a spiritual successor a direct successor, whatever you want to call it. This is definitely made as a result of what came about in that episode. So, just check out whatever things you need background on, if you don't even know what legendary Pokemon are and things like that. um, Definitely recommend uh, checking uh, other episodes out, but most importantly, Season 3, Episode 17. Um, So, what I want to bring up here... Is the fact that since the expansion of legendary pokemon i.e when legendary pokemon had enough to their roster that you can actually theorize about what each of them do um it's already been theorized many times over how each legendary pokemon is related to one another where who starts what who created what who comes next after the creation that's already been done before um and uh so i definitely not doing anything new here we're not reinventing the wheel this is not going to be the best thing since sliced bread i am fully aware um but i thought it'd just be kind of fun at least to construct my own timeline attempting of uh, attempting to construct a timeline of my own because legendary pokemon um but also mythical pokemon this is another really important thing to keep in mind is that i'm talking about both legendary and mythical pokemon and i'll explain I'll explain why, maybe from a technical standpoint, they become confusing in the game, in the games they appear in, but within the context of lore, it all makes a lot of sense. Um, the thing is, I've just always wanted to attempt doing one of these, and I heavily considered doing this, I'd say, even as far back as Season 2. Um, maybe Season 3 as well, but really, the idea of this started to come into my head a whole lot more um, once Pokemon Legends Arceus came out uh, has it been- no, it's only been a year, right? Like, it's- it was just a year ago that this game came out, oh my goodness, wow, that's actually crazy. Um, uh, that game was insane for the way that it constructs lore and how it provides a version of an origin story for humans and Pokemon specifically um it does a lot at once and that's one of the components of it and what i focused on in season three episode 17 is the creator pokemon as we see them in those games and trying to understand them within a broader context and here i'm trying to expand that even more that is the purpose of a timeline is trying to figure out how everything is related to one another and potentially what happens when so who creates what who comes after that all those types of questions um so and basically if you've been listening to the beginning of season four you'll know that playing pokemon scarlet has really gotten these cogs turning again for me and that's always a great feeling i literally like did not go to bed because i was so excited to just start making notes writing like coming up with like a diagram it's a really terrible diagram to be fair i can barely read it myself but to try and see how each pokemon is related to one another and trying to explain those relationships um that was a lot of fun and that's why i just felt the need to do an episode like this um i'll say right now that this um episode is definitely not a definitive timeline i know that things will probably change as future pokemon games come out and whatnot, so uh, I am aware of that too. Um, but this will be really exciting. Um, and the purpose of this section right now is just to establish some themes, some things to keep in mind before I get into all the really heavy content of the episode. So um, I'm gonna just put out some key themes to keep in mind with this episode. So legendary and mythical Pokemon f- function under the same umbrella. So Legendary Pokémon are powerful beings with defined characteristics, and I have commented on them in literally the previous episode, um, the one before this one, I've commented on the fact that Legendary Pokémon tend to be elusive, but even more elusive than Legendary Pokémon are mythical Pokémon. Because mythical Pokémon are properly relegated to myth, whereas Legendary Pokémon, once you know about them, their purpose and what they do is usually pretty clear like it's not too much of a surprise um but the fact here is that legendary pokemon and mythical pokemon do share relationships in a way um what comes from where um is uh for me that is definitely still rough so in the construction of the timeline that i have created for this episode um, I would say that the where I place mythical Pokemon is definitely not finalized. I feel pretty confident with where I've placed certain legendary Pokemon, but can't say the same for mythical. But just keep in mind that legendary and mythical, they are classified as two different kinds of Pokemon, but within the context of lore, they tend to serve similar roles. And then another theme I want to introduce is the fact that there are multiple timelines and universes that we are dealing with in these in in the pokemon universe universes timelines um in the pokemon world if you will so the timeline i'm about to present to you considers the possibility that this that things play out differently the order of things um the order of events are not exactly as i describe them because i know that this is not it this is not the timeline it is a timeline um and um this is compounded by the fact that there's specific Pokemon, or things that happen, um, that make this possible. So in Pokemon Legends Arceus, the game begins with Arceus telling you as the player, who's, I I believe, 15 years old, um, you have to go back in time, and you have to help the people of in the distant Sinnoh, uh, in the distant past of the Sinnoh region, when Sinnoh was known as Hisui, Um, You need to go back in time and help out the people there to understand that Pokemon and humans can actually get along. Because in this timeline, they don't. Um, Or they haven't quite made the progress in in getting to that middle ground where humans and Pokemon can coexist. That hasn't happened yet. So Arceus has the ability to do that. um, To transport people, or Pokemon I suppose, people mostly in this context to past eras. Then there's the existence of Ultra Wormholes, which is created by um, another legendary Pokemon, uh, or rather two, Solgaleo and Lunala. And then there's also a mythical Pokemon known as Hoopa, um, which has the ability to warp space and bend dimensions using the rings it has, so it creates these little portals. And space-time rifts, it can do I'd say a smaller scale version of that than what we get in Pokemon Legends Arceus, because there are space-time rifts in Pokemon Legends Arceus as well. Um, and the last theme I want to put out there is the fact that legendary and mythical Pokemon um are not there's it's not a distinct body of good versus evil. Um, but it's that some behave more are more like some are more benevolent, while others are more malevolent in nature. So some are more good-willed, and others are more, I wouldn't say ill-willed, but their actions are adverse to the benevolent ones, if that makes sense. So, because this is supposed to be a timeline on Legendary Pokemon and Mythical Pokemon as well, I don't want to talk about humans too much, since I think actually theorizing on the human timeline in the Pokemon universe that requires a different kind of analysis because there's actually more dates to consider and you get in certain games explicit years so it's like this happened 2,000 years ago or this was established 805 years ago so if I have to consider things like that then um that's that's its own thing and that does not really have a place here so I do plan to keep things broad but um I also just kind of I want, to, I want to justify this timeline, you know? I'm making an argument here, and I'm saying that I have constructed a timeline of events for Legendary Pokémon, mostly in broad strokes, but I've started off with something, and I'm gonna see if, you know, this has legs to stand on. Or rather, argue that there are legs to stand on. This is a theory, folks. Um, um, But with all this preliminary stuff out of the way, um, I want to recap now... Uh, things we know about the creator Pokemon, the Pokemon that started everything, um, and just get into that for a little bit before I dive into the broader timelines. Let's do that. Okay, so, um, the creator Pokemon in question, um, the creator pokemon is known as arceus it is a quadrupedal like creature with uh it doesn't have a mouth its body is mostly colored in white it's got this uh yellow halo crest shape that surrounds its torso um it doesn't have like defined toes or anything but it's very equine like um and i can say arceus is a very intimidating kind of creature so there's gonna be a creator Pokemon. I'm like, this is a this is not a bad design for one. Um, so the thing with uh Arceus is that uh it decided that after it was born from an egg of chaos, it would decide to create other creators. So while uh um Arceus is the first ever creator and it is the source of everything for all Pokemon, um, it would not decide it it decided that it would not be the only one to hold that position there would be other pokemon to help aid in creation itself and those other pokemon would serve their own roles and they would be defined so arceus could do a little bit of everything maybe but these pokemon would be the creators they would be the best at managing that kind of whatever characteristic they're assigned essentially so arceus created dialga which is uh, this being of time, and then it created Palkia, this being of space, um, as images of itself. So, in Pokemon Legends Arceus, we are given primal forms to Primal Dialga and Primal Palkia. Um, Or Origin Palkia, as they're called in Origin Dialga, I believe. I believe that's actually their official titles. Um, Primal just sounds really cool, you know. Um, But... Palkia, in the form that we see it most commonly, is a bipedal creature, but when it's in its origin form, it is quadrupedal and it looks way more horse like. It's like a centaur. Um, And then Dialga looks a bit weird, but it's always been quadrupedal, so that's unsurprising. So uh, both origin Dialga and both origin, like origin Dialga and origin Palkia, both lose their mouths. when they assume their origin forms. So that is what actually leads this credence uh, credence to the idea that Arceus created these Pokemon as an image of itself. So it's, it's basically an imitation. But there's also a dialogue that appears in Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is that there is something called the Almighty Sinnoh. You have two clans, the Diamond Clan and the Pearl Clan, arguing over who the original creator is type of thing. So Pearl Clan is saying it's Palkia, basically and Diamond Clan is saying it's, it's Dialga. But actually, these Pokémon apparently, according to myth, used to be one Pokémon. Um, so, what that also leads to is the idea that Arceus created these Pokémon um, as imitations of itself, but actually didn't succeed. So, if Dialga and Palkia were meant to be one Pokémon, then something went wrong. What went wrong is not clear, but it led to them being separate beings. So. Essentially, Arceus was trying to create a version of itself that would control time and space, but instead what happened is that that being separated to become specifically one for ruling over time and the other one ruling over space, hence Dialga and Palkia. Um, That was intentional, though, at the very least, that it would create beings to define time and define space. Dialga would define time, Palkia would define space. That is what it is. but there is, there was a slight complication in this process, which is that uh, time and space are now created. But being born from an egg of chaos where nothing is truly defined and like things have yet to be defined, right? Things are still coming into creation. Where things exist, there can also be the non-existent. The absence of something and this is where antimatter comes into question this is where we get our first you could say malevolent pokemon legendary pokemon and in fact a creator and that is giratina giratina out of all the creator pokemon is actually the one that resembles arceus the closest in a couple ways um and a really important distinction about uh giratina is the fact that it has an altered form and it has its origin form But its origin form has been known to us much longer than Dialga and Palkia's. We've known what origin form Giratina has looked like for quite a while because it was introduced in earlier games. We did not have to wait till Pokemon Legends Arceus to know what origin Giratina looked like. But what this means is that if it has an origin form and an altered form, in the case of Dialga and Palkia, the, the forms that we see them in Diamond and Pearl respectively are not called altered forms. They're just... Palicandialga and they have origin forms. But in the case of Giratina, the wording here is is very important. If it has an altered form, this means Giratina, because you first when you first fight Giratina in Pokemon Legends Arceus, it is in its altered form and then will change back to its origin form. What this means is that Arceus has already gone through the trouble of restricting Giratina's powers, um, and being able to govern govern over the nether, you know? Um uh, a parallel world that is a shadow to the existing one, um, to be a being of representing antimatter. For Giratina to represent that, Giratina was actually probably Arceus's greatest adversary, so Giratina is not an intentional creation then, and it is a creator in its own right, and that can be very problematic in a lot of ways, because now you have this Pokemon that is much more, um, chaos bent than uh, the other three creators in question, which is Arceus, Dialga, and Palkia. Um, So what we see play out in Pokemon Legends Arceus is that space time rifts begin to occur. It riles up Pokemon across the land and stuff. And Giratina, my argument was that Giratina is essentially responsible for riling up Dialga and Palkia to become more volatile beings. Um, It's not necessarily that Dialga and Palkia were always docile to begin with, Because we know that they've already split once, it's just that Giratina is adding fuel to the fire here. Arceus does not like that, hence bringing someone from a different timeline to help out the people of Hisui type of thing, because there is a threat that only someone that does not exist in this timeline could understand, basically. So, that's what we're working with in terms of the Pokémon Legends Arceus context. Now, the thing is, is that I believe that I argued this in Season 3, Episode 17, But Hisui does exist across all the timelines. I haven't actually personally stated, Oh, there's this many timelines that exist in the Pokemon, kind of in Pokemon lore or Pokemon storytelling. It's not so much about that. It's just that Hisui is an origin point one way or another. And it's just that in Pokemon Legends Arceus, this is one version of of a Hisui that we see play out. Because we know that Sinnoh, the Sinnoh region, Um, it being the home to these creator Pokemon is probably the first land, the first region that comes into existence, and then the others will follow, um, in short order, um, and things like that. So that's what we're dealing with with our creators, and essentially with that, um, we've got a pretty complicated... Bag of marbles here because Arceus wanted to do certain things with its creators. It didn't want to be the only one um creating things, creating life, creating space, creating time. It did not want to be the only one responsible for that. So it's allocating those roles to other Pokemon. But we've already got two riffs in, in in the whatever, in the process. Because Dialga and Palkia separated from being one dragon and are now two different dragons. So this could also maybe be an argument that they are more prone to being riled up because there was always inner conflict to begin with. And then Giratina is actively trying to go against Arceus um, and not so much sabotage, But it's trying to do its own thing, and Arceus doesn't really like Giratina to just roam around freely because it's too volatile a being. Dialga and Palkia, you can get them under control to a degree. But Giratina, you you let that thing loose and it can cause untold damage, terror, ruination, if you will. So that's what we're working with, with the creator Pokemon. Um, They are not the only creators, though, and... Before I conclude this section on commentary, I've already brought up. Um, I want to mention two additional points. First, um, there is the Canaleve Library origin story. So this can be found, I believe, in Diamond Pro Platinum and then Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, I believe, in all of those games, where you can go to the where you go to Canaleve City, you go to the library there, and you read one of the books, and it tells this tale. In the beginning, there was only a churning turmoil of chaos. At the heart of chaos, where all things became one, appeared an egg. Having tumbled from the vortex, the egg gave rise to the original one. The original one is Arceus. From itself, the the origin story doesn't note that, by the way. I'm just adding that in. From itself, two beings the origin one did make. Palkia and Dialga. Time started to spin. Space began to expand. From itself, three living be- three living things the original one did make. The two beings wished, and from them, matter came to be. The three living things wished, and from them, spirit came to be. The world created, the original one took to unyielding sleep. So, when I say that Arceus does not really want Giratina to go around messing up things, Arceus is not- it's it's omniscient and it's omnipotent, but it's not an active, uh participant in what happens. So once creation occurred and it was able to allocate those roles to Palkia and Dialga, it was no longer actively being a part of things in that way. So everything that happens from this point onwards in the timeline I'm about to describe is are passive things that Arceus had done. And with the help of other Pokemon are things happening. Um, So that's an important thing to to note about this origin story is also the fact that it's not really explicitly addressing Giratina. It's saying that um the two beings wished and from them matter came to be. Giratina represents antimatter. It's the nether, it's what isn't there. So um this origin story is is it main it's probably no words. It's not actively omitting Giratina from the narrative, but Giratina's appearance is not a planned thing. This is where you can see it being an unintentional creation of Arceus. See it, it was born from chaos. It tumbled from a vortex. Um, so basically, the explaining why Giratina exists is not too hard to say, just because it's not like um, from chaos. It's like, we didn't begin with peace. We began with conflict in a way. We began with chaos. And from chaos can come something like Giratina, which is not inherently benevolent. So, there is that. Now, um, this is of note that's going to come up later and not necessarily now, but I want to point it out now uh, to keep in mind. So uh, this is a note on Shintoism, which is a a religion practiced in Japan. In Season 3, Episode 17, I did some connections between um, uh, mythological figures and gods, or Kami, in Shintoism and compared them to these creator Pokemon. Um, but here, I just want to bring up this this detail rather than connecting deities and whatnot to legendary Pokemon. So, uh, quote. In Shinto, Kami are not separate from nature, but are of nature, possessing positive and negative and good and evil characteristics. They are manifestations of Musubi. Um, the interconnecting energy of the universe, and are considered exemplary of what humanity should strive towards. Kami are believed to be hidden from this world, and inhabit a complementary existence that mirrors our own. Shinkai, or the world of Kami. Uh, To be in harmony with the awe-inspiring aspects of nature is to be conscious of Kanagara no Michi, or the way of Kami." So, um, what this passage demonstrates to me is that there is a subtlety to the way that power operates for the co- for legendary Pokemon. So if we were to connect this to the context of Pokemon, then um, it's not so much that things are happening in a very obvious way. This is a more subtle process. So when I go through the breakdown of my timeline, I'm gonna also briefly mention here or there where it's relevant to uh, that this is a... Uh, this is something to to think about as well because if it's not entirely clear why something is the way that it is then maybe this explanation on kami is one way of understanding it so that's about what we've got for the recap of uh the creator pokemon um it is now finally time to get into the timeline Okay, so I actually like hand wrote (laughs) on the timeline because I don't know why I just felt like a pen and paper just kind of came to me. So here we begin with the timeline that I'm currently working with and some theories that I have to go along with that. So, um, and just as a side note, if you don't know any of these legendary Pokemon as well, things are linked in the description so you can look up all of them if you want. Um, So Origins, this is chapter one, Origins. So as we know, Arceus was born um, from this egg that came from chaos. And from that, we get the one dragon, which eventually became two, Palkia representing space, Dialga representing time. And then the accidental third one, Giratina representing antimatter. They are all born around the same time. Um, And then Giratina, as we know, is likely not allied with the other legendaries. It's got different goals. Um, So that's what happens in this part of the Origins. Um, then another thing that happens is the creation of the Lake Guardians. So, um, uh, there are three Lake Guardians. Um, they are Azelf, which represents willpower, then there is Uxie, which represents knowledge, and then there is Mesprit, which represents emotion. So, uh, we have now got space, time, antimatter in operation, as well as emotions. So, uh uh sorry emotions knowledge and willpower so these are things that can drive beings to be a certain way um and the late guardians were actually created with the purpose of being able to tame the dragons as well so uh it's not a definitive measure per se but it's definitely possible that the late guardians are it's not so much that they're on equal footing with the dragons it's just that they are able to keep a clamp on them. And basically, if you imprison the late guardians, you make it possible to unlock these uh, uh, the dormant creators, essentially, from their slumber. And then they'll be out in the open with nothing to hold them back. So the late Guardian, if the late guardians are imprisoned, and this is the story that Pokemon Platinum follows, if the late guardians are imprisoned, then there is quite a bit of trouble because the creators will wake up, there'll be nothing to hold them back. Uh, and no clear way to stop them. And in this process, Giratina can also just come out whenever it's ready, once the the necessary conditions are met. But it's more possible with the late guardians at bay. So this is what happens uh, with Arceus's original creations. But we get our first mythical Pokemon um, discreetly created, and that Pokemon is Mew. So Mew is described as... It's this pink cat-like Pokemon. Now, Mew is said to have the DNA of all Pokemon. So Mew isn't so much a creator as it is a, a being that is genetically connected to any Pokemon that exists as a result of the creators. So anything that comes after the creators and stuff, Mew is technically related to every single Pokemon. And in the games, Mew is a Pokemon that can learn every move in existence. So um, that is why i calling Mew a discrete creation, because Mew is one of those mythical Pokémon that people don't know if it's real or it's relegated to myth type of thing. It's truly mythical in that sense. Um, that's the deal with Mew. Um, and then moving on, we have the Pokémon known as Cresselia, and it is one part of the Lunar Duo. So Cresselia is Connected to or descends from the Lake Guardians, as it is a representative of hope. So basically, if you have a con- the concept of willpower, knowledge, and emotion, um, those are like three separate concepts. Essentially, you can derive really any um, anything that motivates someone, someone or something to to do an action, to do something. Um, then hope can easily be a derivative of something like emotion or willpower. Or it can be, um, derived from knowledge in a sense, because if you know something, then you can hope for something else. Um, when you don't have knowledge, and you don't know about something, then there is hope for something else. And Cresselia's role in the games, especially as it appears in Diamond Pearl Platinum, is that it's able to cure p- people of having bad dreams and things like that, of nightmares, um... Nightmares that cripple people to the point that they are bedridden. They actually can't, they are they are unable to actually do anything. They are that haunted. And Cresselia has that healing component to it. So I think Cresselia is very much related to the Lake Guardians, Azel, Uxie, and Mesprit. Um, but Giratina, um, here's the thing with Giratina, which is what I've argued before, is that this is a Pokemon that may be held at bay, but can't be done so permanently. If Arceus is to go to sleep and so are the other creators, then Giratina will remain in in the Nether. It'll remain in the shadow world if you will, the world parallel to um uh the world parallel to uh the the normal world if you will. Um but Giratina is also discreetly able to do things as well. So Parallel to Cresselia is the existence of the Pokemon Darkrai, the other part of the lunar duo. And Darkrai is the one that causes the nightmares. So Darkrai, being a clearly malevolent being, would be pretty connected to Giratina, if you ask me. And then, um, uh, as I kind of mentioned before with Hoopa, I, I said that it was able to create space-time rifts, it could bend dimensions... Um, Hoopa has two forms. There's its smaller form, its bound form, which is more mischievous, and then there's Hoopa unbound, which is the much more kind of uh, chaotic one, if you will. Now, Hoopa being able to distort space or transport things through space is very much connected to Palkia, so I wouldn't say Palkia is necessarily its direct creator, but um, Hoopa was probably born uh, born from Palkia. It's not like it's an intentional thing. It's just that it came into existence because you are able to create something secondary that can also control space. Um, that kind of a thing. Then we have a, a series of mythical Pokemon that this is essentially the mythical Pokemon where I was saying before, I didn't really know where to group them. Um, and uh, this is this is one of those. Th- there's a bunch of them, actually. So we have uh, Shaman, which is, I think it like... It has a role in terms of, like, blessing wildlife and stuff. It's a good omen to see a Shaman type of thing. There's always... It'll sprout flower fields and stuff. I'll tell you that I didn't necessarily read up on the specifics of all mythical Pokemon and their functions. I just kind of glanced at them. Um, But we have... uh, These are mythical Pokemon that I believe also, in a way, derive from the Lake Guardians. So Pokemon like Celebi, which is another one of those kind of elusive mythical Pokemon um, connected to the connected to forests there's that one then there's meloetta which does which is a uh, it dances i i can't remember its specific thing then there's jirachi which is supposed to be uh, which is related to like the tanabata f- uh, festivals in japan so it's for wishes good luck things like that then there's magirna didn't really know where to place that one marshadow which is what is it ghost fighting or something so i think marshadow is partially influenced by giratina so the lake guardians can't escape. Giratina's influence, as you can tell with some, some you know, a Pokemon like Darkrai. Shadow as well is known to be a bit more crafty rather than benevolent, so there's that. Then there's Zeraora, Zerud, so Zeraora is this kind of like electric cat type of thing. It's pretty cool. And then there's Zerud, which is um, uh, a monkey-like Pokemon that is able to scale jungles very easily. Then we have Diancie, which is actually a mutated form of a pre-existing Pokemon known as Carbink. But I'm not exactly sure where to place antsy to be honest. Then there's Victini, which is, like, the victory Pokémon. Um, and, uh, I thought that it's pretty similar to kind of the essence of Pokémon, like, Celebi, Jirachi, Shaman, so I thought it was pretty fair to group them in the same basket here. And then Latios and Latias. Um, they- their lore is never clearly stated, but they are extremely rare, and, um, I believe they they want to protect where they live or where they are so um that would in a very broad sense very much relates to the goals of the or the motivations of the lake guardians which were created to maintain peace essentially right because if we know that palkia dialga geratina as well if they are all volatile beings or if they wake up from a slumber there's no telling what they will do then the Lake Guardians are essentially their check and balance, right? Um, so that was basically where I decided to group the um mythical Pokemon without a clear sense of when they come into existence or how they appear. But some like Pokemon like Shaman, for example, I think could come pretty early because it's related to the natural world. Um, even something like Zarud, because of being in jungles and things like that. Um, although I will note that while this is the this is chapter one, this is the origin section. Um, I'd say the the case with a lot of these mythical Pokemon is they will actually appear in a different chapter. I'm not going to actually bring it up then, but that's when they are more likely to appear. And on that note, let's get into chapter two. Chapter two, formation. This is the second generation. So we are done with our creators now. Um, the original creators, um, space, time, antimatter, and the Lake Guardians, all are what they represent rather. All of that has come into existence now. So, formation is about how the Earth begins as an Earth, as a planet. Um, so we, we need a, we need to form land, we need to form water, we need to get the elements in order. Um, so in accordance with the powers of Palkia and Dialga, um, and as well as the Lake Guardians, R.C.S. would, in a more passive state, would create Groudon, um, a being connected to the Earth, Kyogre connected to the water. Um, they would, uh, Groudon and Kyogre would come into existence in order to begin the creation of uh, land, water, these elements that are able to provide for life. So um, before other life forms can come into existence, there needs to be places where they can uh, situate themselves, habitats. Um, So in a very foundational sense, in a very basic way, they just need to create like places. Um, Because if we already have space and time and creation, now it's a matter of defining that to make it look like something. So, you know, earth, soil, trees, rock formations, and then water, of course, in its big, expansive way, that kind of a thing. And Rayquaza was, as a representative of the sky, if you will, because um, we have Earth-Water-Sky now, um, it would serve as Groudon and Kyogre's Arbiters. So, basically, Arceus has known now that, well... <laughs> Palkia and Dialga were not able to stay as one dragon. So legendary Pokemon or its creations, anything that comes after Arceus is bound to come into conflict with each other. There is no guaranteeing that there won't be some kind of competition or there won't be some kind of conflict. So you create another check and balance for other uh, creators, if you will, because Groudon and Kyogre are not part of the original creators, but they descend from them because they give meaning to what the creators have provided because it it didn't have a definition before. But now we have things like land and water, thanks to Groudon and Kyogre. So um, Groudon is able to give uh, um, space for uh, life and ancient terrestrial Pokemon can around because Kyogre, Groudon, Raquaza, these are said to be the super ancient Pokemon. So how ancient they are is hard to say. But sometime down the line, Pokemon like Genesect, which is said to have existed 300 million years ago before being later modified by humans, I believe, um, 300 million years ago, this Pokemon will exist at that point in time. Genesect is a, myth- a mythical Pokemon as well. And one of the newest legendaries now, Caridon, would also... Um, be connected to a similar time period because Coridon is uh, a legendary Pokemon. Um, but it is also noted to be ancient. It's an ancient lizard. It's uh, it resembles fan-throated lizards. Um, and it possesses um, elements of, you know, um, creatures and um, life forms that come from like the Paleozoic and Mesozoic, if you will if we're drawing off of, like, real life. Another Pokemon, like Heatran, for example, which is a, a Pokemon that lives in volcanoes and stuff, likely came into existence around a similar time. I don't actually remember how ancient Heatran is supposed to be, but because it's it's very closely related to Groudon in terms of, like, its typing and where it lives, um, that I could see it coming into existence around this time, too. Um, Then Kyogre would be able or rather not would be able to. But with the sea in creation, it could also lead to the creation of the Sea Guardian Pokemon known as Manaphy. That's its colloquial title. Manaphy is uh, related to... um, Or not related to, rather, but it is like the parent Pokemon of Fione, which is a highly debated mythical Pokemon. Most people say it isn't. Manaphy is considered a mythical Pokemon, though. So Manaphy being associated with water would also come into existence around this time period. Um, Now also at a similar point in time um when groudon and kyogre are created in order to define um the world to 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 define the meaning of space and time in the context of this planet they also assumed primal forms um before eventually going dormant we know that in the story of pokemon omega ruby and alpha sapphire which i know is def is like probably a different timeline. It's not operating within all of the timelines. But I think it's also true that if something has a primal form, then it definitely used to be that way. Um so I'd pretty I'd say it's pretty safe to assume that Groudon and Kyogre were uh um like they they across the timelines they had those primal forms before they went dormant and those powers were eventually sealed away. Um now Rayquaza does have a primal form as well, but it's called Mega Rayquaza instead of Primal Rayquaza. Um, The nature of that transformation is a bit different, and I think that's because that process was affected by humans and not um, Rayquaza possessing a primal form naturally. It's hard to say in that situation, but all I wanted to note is that Groudon and Kyogre, much like Origin form, Giratina, Palkia, and Dialga, is that they assumed very powerful forms. in this time period. Um, Now, with the planet in the process of being kind of defined and um, built up, um, Arceus would need to have the planet inhabited by beings. We need to start with the question of life now, folks. So, um, which Pokemon would be a part of that process? Well, the pattern, unfortunately, repeats itself, which is that Legendary Pokemon are almost in a way faded to feud. So uh the life-giving Pokemon known as Xerneas is created. Um, but as a as a added component, so is the Pokemon Eveltal, which represents destruction. So these are polar opposite Pokemon, so then Arceus has Zygarde created to serve as their arbiter, similar to the role of Rayquaza for Groudon and Kyogre. So this is to say that um life can end and life can be uh what is it um prematurely brought to an end as well hence destruction but um both exist simultaneously it's not so much that you can't have one without the other it's not so much the argument that oh you can't have heroes if there's no evil or something like that it's just that this is the way things are working out um if life is to exist then life can also end. Groudon and and Kyogre already show us that with with the fact that they do create things, but then they also destroy life as well. So Xerneas is there to maintain life, the essence of life itself. Um, So then life forms can officially come into existence outside of legendary Pokemon type of thing. So then that would give way for something like a Carbink to mutate into Diancie, for example. Now, um similar uh, not not similar, simultaneous to Groudon and Kyogre's kind of building process, um the legendary Pokémon Regigigas would be created to form the continents. So, to give further meaning and further definition to the land itself, Regigigas is said in its Pokédex entries to have dragged continents quite literally. Um Regigigas would also give way or I don't want to say like birth, give birth to. I don't really want to word it that way per se. Because I'm I'm I don't know how to word this to be honest, but the legendary golems um are directly related to uh Regigigas, and Gagas is their um uh, almost like their commander, you know? Um and the legendary golems consist of Regice, Regirock, Steel, Seal, Regieleki, um, or Reg Regieleki, and Regidrago. Um uh and I believe. That they would have insi- uh, they would have assisted in Reggie Gigas's endeavors in terms of defining uh, the land and its elements. So it, Reg Ice, you know, has the ability of ice. Reggie Rock, rock. Reggie Steel, So it's it, there's more el- elemental uh, components to this. Reggie Drago. I mean, we can just say that that's an extension from being related to. Uh, Arceus and the creators themselves, which are all dragons, like Palkia, Dialga, Giratina, they're all dragons. So that's, I think, where the where Reggie Drago kind of get, finds that connection. But um, over time, once I think once these Pokemon became known to humans, for example, they were too volatile to remain untethered. So uh, not exactly corresponding to the human age, but just that like once it was kind of known that these Pokemon existed, it's just that you couldn't really leave them. It's a common trend among all these legendary Pokemon. Then we have uh, beings with powers influenced likely by Azelf allowed for Arceus to create two other legendary Pokemon that exist somewhat outside of the current scheme we have going on here because Regigigas is very closely tied to the actions of a Pokemon like Groudon for example. Both of them deal with the land, continent, things like that um but we have a couple outliers here so um Ho-Oh and Lugia would be discreetly created around this time um the former would give life so Ho-Oh would give life and I'd say that that's also kind of in tandem with what Xerneas does in the universe while Lugia would be given the ability to tame other legendary Pokemon so um they were kind of powerful in their own right but they existed just kind of on their own and that was OK, because now that we have uh, a land that is being that is in the process of being defined, then um, ho and Lugia can serve that purpose in a way so they can stop something problematic from happening or they can bring back something that was lost um, in the case of ho for example. And then uh, finally, we have um, Reshiram and Zekrom. Um uh, related to the late guardians and created by Arceus. Um, similar to Palkia and Dialga, these two dragons once existed as one, and then they separated. And this is due to having differing perspectives on existence because Reshiram and Zekrom are based off of the concept of Yin and Yang. Um, and uh, to be to have competing ideas led to them separating as two different beings. Again, very, very much paralleling what Palkia and Dialga went through. Um, so now they are quite distinct, and that's how we understand them. Um, Kyurem is, uh, is, uh, I think actually partially influenced by Giratina, but not in the way that you'd think. It's not a malevolent Pokémon, but it represents, like, Kyurem represents the absence of yin and yang. So, Reshiram clearly stands for something, and Zekron clearly stands for something, but Kyurem is just there. Uh, so even though it might be partially influenced by Giratina's absence, the nether, when something isn't there, if it's influenced by that component, even if that is the case, it's still- Akiram ultimately still serves as Reshiram and Zekrom's arbiter. Um, and we'll find out that with, like, maybe I'll just bring that up later. Yeah, we'll just get into that later, because we are at the end of chapter two now, folks. It's time to get into chapter three. Chapter three, cultivation. So now we're getting into the third generation, I suppose. That was all second generation stuff. Um, this is when things start to kick up in speed, if you will. So the forces of nature, which consist of Enamorous, Landerous, Tornadoes, and Thunderous, would give um, further meaning to the land, to life, to living. Um, they would define the phenomena of elements in nature in a way that had had not yet been done. So, Pokemon like Reshiram and Zekrom, they represent beliefs, emotions, rationality, um, uh, and that's very much tied to what the Lake Guardians are associated with. And then you have the pretty basic components of creating Earth, water, with Pokemon like Crowdon and Kyogre, but here we see things being more defined. Um, this is where that whole point about Kami comes into question, because the forces of nature, as they are called, are explicitly based, uh, off of Kami. Um, there's also, um... Okay, sorry about that, folks. So, I got lost in the sauce. Essentially, I was trying to remember what other kind of mythological connections there are with the forces of nature and they kind of overlap in a bunch of like with a bunch of different like religious concepts uh um deities and things like that so this is not just um kami per se they do share some similarities with other deities that exist in other religions but um the other thing that is noteworthy about them is their kind of parallels or connections to the four symbols in uh Chinese, uh, constellations, um, and the four symbols, they, uh, represent, um, uh, let's, let's see, um, they're, the, the four symbols, um, they are four mythological creatures that are associated with a cardinal direction and a color, um, but they also represent, um, uh, other aspects such as a season of the year, an emotion, virtue, Um, and the Chinese five elements in this context, which consist of wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. Um, So that's kind of where I just want to leave that connection to. I find that really interesting, but that's where the forces of nature, that's where they become important because it's a combination of basically what we've seen so far. So while Groudon is explicitly connected to the land and it is the creator of that, um, and another Pokemon like Regigigas helps to construct the land and create borders and continents and things like that with the forces of nature it's a mixture of being you know integrated into into creation but then also having that emotionality to it virtue um beliefs so that's very much in line with pokemon like reshiram and zekrom and then of course the lake guardians so um arceus may be the creator of the forces of uh nature um but they are very much a derivative of what the late guardians believe in so they're like a mishmash a combination of a bunch of different things and that's where they possess a lot of their similarities to kami um so i just find that really interesting i think the forces of nature are really fascinating for that reason especially because here we are not dealing with explicit good versus evil it's just about maintaining a kind of order and having certain values embedded into life itself and how that's upheld and who upholds those values it just depends really because no one actually truly has control over that as we can tell with arceus being the ultimate creator can never fully control any of the volatile creations that come about such as giratina or eveltal and pokemon like that pokemon that are much more destructive in nature rather than constructive anyways um so around this time period a bunch of different pokemon will come into existence as well so Uh, As we know now, life is able to exist, so other Pokémon outside of the Legendary Pokémon scheme are now also coming into existence. Um, And how old certain Pokémon are, that's still up up in the air, we still don't really know how old certain Pokémon are, or how ancient things are. But I would say with the forces of nature, there will be a distinct time period where will still be operating within an ancient context and then it will eventually translate over um to the era where humans are also starting to come across pokemon and then that's when a lot of these other pokemon will come into existence because this is where um uh this is something i didn't talk about before but the presence of yokai as a concept in pokemon is is pretty intrinsic if you ask me because yokai are basically monsters, but not really in a traditional sense. They are beings of folklore and myth and storytelling. So if you're venturing in the countryside, then there will be a yokai that does something or has a specific purpose. Sometimes some are more harmless than others, but then some are really chaotic and you don't want to mess with them. So Pokemon are very closely related to the yokai phenomenon. and things like that. So then that would probably because the concept of yokai historically was developed around I think the 16th century in Japan, um we would have to consider that maybe when these Pokemon that I'm going to talk about were being observed by humans or humans are able to see them. So we know that humans and Pokemon are in the process of coexisting essentially when that is happening, um then that's when we have to think about when these Pokemon come into creation. So they are not gonna come immediately after the forces of nature come into existence. The forces of nature will give that space for those Pokemon when the time comes, and that is not yet. Um, And essentially around the time that humans start to enter the picture. And of course, I'm not talking about humans um, as much as I'm talking about Pokemon, but... Anyways, let's get into that now. So um, Entei, Raikou, and Suicune would be revived um at that point in time that i'm talking about that humans begin to be able to observe pokemon and things like that and this is because um humans were like uh are definitely around at this point for entei and suikun because um they are said to have been three pokemon that got trapped in a tower which is now known as the burn tower in current day um uh, they were trapped in a tower, three elements struck that tower that night, and it is Holo that brings those Pokemon, it revives them, and they become known as Entei, Raikou, and Suicune, each embodying the traits that uh, kind of siege that tower, that that fateful night. So um, a tower is obviously a man-made structure, so humans are around at the time that Entei, Raikou, and Suicune come into existence. Then, we have the Cantonian birds, which consist of Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres, also meant to represent seasons. Um, they would be created and then later controlled by Lugia, so they have a very, they, they probably come around a similar time as Ente, Raikon, Suicun, Um and It is also known that Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres have Galarian counterparts, which possess different typings. They resemble them in a lot of ways, but they're not actually the exact same Pokemon. So their Galarian counterparts would also emerge in a different place. Then, uh, the guardian deities of Alola, which consists of Tapu Koko, Tapu Lele, Tapu Bulu, and Tapu Fini, they would come into existence, and uh, I'd say that They are not a product of the forces of nature. I'd say they actually come in, they exist independent of the forces of nature, but they don't come before the forces of nature. That's an important thing. The forces of nature come first here in the cultivation chapter, Um, but the guardian deities will come soon after because they will protect. They are explicitly here to maintain order or maintain a kind of peace. They are guardians, right? So um, I'd say also they're connected to Enamorous because Enamorous is um, meant to be a being of spring. And is also, um, I think it's it's also if you look at its typing in the game, it's a fairy type. All the Tapus, all the Cardians, all the Guardians, ca- all the Guardians are fairy types. Um, so uh, I see I see an explicit connection there that the um, it's not so much that they are born from the forces of nature, but they are directly related to them. So it's a bit like you could say like cousins almost in a way. Um, don't mind me as I'm flipping through my notes. Um, then we have, um, as the creators are governing more liberally now, things are being defined by other Pokemon now. There's other beings that are doing the work right now. Um, I'd say that, um, uh, um, let us- what's the best way to word this? Um, essentially, like, with, uh, Arceus now is that I've argued up until this point that it's taking a backseat to a lot of things, right? Um, and I just said right now that the creators are governing more liberally now. A lot of the work is being done for them because they are at the beginning of everything, but once things come as a result of them, they no longer need to do all the heavy lifting. Um, I would still argue here, though, that Arceus would decide that since we now have the Cantonian birds, we now have the legendary beasts, which is Ente, Raikus, Wicun, um, and now we have the guardian deities, then I think it would be fair to say that at this point, they decided that, uh, Arceus decided, that in order to kind of uh, work with the forces of nature to complement Xerneas's goal in being like, to provide life, and then complementing the ideals of the Lake Guardians, the following Pokemon um, would come into existence and they would be much more known to humans in a lot of ways. Um, so these are legendary Pokémon that I think, um, quite similar to how Entei, Raikou, and Suicune become known to humans. These are legendary Pokémon that humans are able to actually, like, chronicle and write about and, um, dedicate, you know, tapestries or written works to. Because they have seen them, or it's been known that these be- po- these Pokemon behave a certain way because they came into contact with humans. So there's a much better understanding of, uh... I'm gonna be honest, I don't remember what I was saying before, but, um, yes. These are legendary Pokemon that humans could know about. Let's just leave it at that. So starting off, we have the Swords of Justice. So these are all, um, equine-like Pokemon um they can be found in forests and stuff and i think i think it's noted that they are they are hostile towards humans like they they don't like them because the swords of justice i'd say are like um i wouldn't even say they work alongside xerneas i mean they're all pretty similar as um uh, forest dwelling creatures and stuff because like xerneas it looks like a deer while the swords of justice uh resemble other equine-like creatures as well, so it's like they all feel like they're kind of a part of the same family. But the Swords of Justice are there, and they are actually based off of the Three Musketeers, um, including the character of D'Artagnan. There is also a Pokemon equivalent for that. So the Swords of Justice consist of Cobalion, Terrakion, Virizion, and Keldeo, and is our D'Artagnan uh, equivalent. So um, each of them have specific uh, whatever elements associated with them, so Cobalion is like steel, um, uh Terrakion's got rock, Frizion's got grass, and Caldea's got water, and they're all fighting types. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, uh, but yeah, so they are they are there then there's the king and the king's steeds they would emerge at a similar period in the region of galar because i know i'm not mentioning a lot of regions per se like the swords of justice would be yunova um and the other thing that when i was constructing this timeline is that i didn't really want to focus too much on the regions because like sino's the like the big one for being the origin one or like hisui whatever you want to call it it's that region's the most important one all like the regions of kanto johto um hoen um uh things like that. I didn't really know how much detail to go into, because if we're considering that Groudon and Kyogre start forming land and water, then Hoenn, other than Sinnoh, would be one of the first places to experience that. Kanto and Johto would come a little later down the line, along with Unova, Alola, um, Galar, and then finally Paldea. So if that's the way that I'm looking at things, then... I didn't really feel the need, the need to constantly bring up oh and then this is what's happening in this land now because this is where these legendaries can be found that type of thing um so anyways that's where we're at but the king and the king's steeds would be found in the galar region and the king which is calyrex is the king of bountiful harvests and um that's supposed to be a great thing unfortunately when calyrex is separated from its steeds those steeds are very very chaotic because um, uh, Glastrier is this ice horse, and then Spectrier is this ghost horse. Both are scary if you leave them unattended, and I can definitely see these Pokemon being influenced by the will of Giratina, for example. Um, not explicitly a Veltal, because not—it's not really about destruction. It's just that Glastrier and Spectrier are not—they're very. They parallel the behavior of Giratina, who again, if you leave unattended or don't keep it in check it's a problem. and uh, so that theme's consistent here so then these pokemon would emerge at a similar point in time as the Swords of justice let's say. and when i say similar point in time of course i am i think it is important to say that it is not happening on the same plains of land. this is happening in different regions That it's that's that, that is still very important to note. but it's like this is this is the case similar points in time. then the heroes Zashin and Zamazenta of the Galar region as well, they would assume their roles to protect the land from um, extraterrestrial beings and whatnot, and then that's the role that they would serve. They're there to prevent calamity, but them, like many other legendary Pokemon, would go dormant and hide away. Um and then uh, this one I find a bit difficult to place because this one is supposed to be about an ancient king, but we definitely know that this would be older, than maybe the Swords of Justice and the Heroes and the King and the King's Steeds. Um, that's the feel I get. And these are actually the newest Legendary Pokémon that were introduced, and this um, is uh, these are known as the Treasures of Ruin, which consists of Wo Chien, Qiyu, and Tinglu. Um, so the lore behind the Treasures of Ruin is that they were influenced by human greed from the ancient King of Paldea. And then became creatures of ruination before being eventually sealed away by ancient Pokemon wielders, people that were strong enough to use other Pokemon to seal these four Pokemon away because they were causing that much trouble. Um, The thing is that um, there's been discussions. I didn't look at the, I didn't watch any videos or look up anything, but I did happen to see the thumbnails and then I started to think, why didn't I think about this sooner? And it's the fact that Treasures of Ruin, that wording seems kind of familiar, and that is because in Pokemon X and Y, which is the region of Kalos, that's where actually we get Xerneas, Iveltal, and Zygarde in the first place, um, is that there is a move called Light of Ruin, which does not canonically exist in the game, but it belongs to a Pokemon that is kind of part of the lore of Kalos. So. people i think have started to theorize about the connection between paldea and Kaldos for this reason and how the treasures of ruin play into those narratives as well and i'm not i'm not i don't really have the space to talk about that here but i find treasures of ruin interesting just because i'm like they're all dark types right um but like eveltal's like the dark type it's like the other than you could say um darkrai is a mythical pokemon at the end of the day iveltal is legendary and definitely um, exerts a lot more power in being a destructive force and to share a typing with evelto i'm like evelto could totally be the like whatever quadruplet master for 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 these four pokemon because like sharing the typing all being forces of destruction i'm like it makes so much sense and i'm like that's really crazy, because the way that the Swords of Justice, I feel really closely aligned with Cernius. the Treasures of Ruin, I feel really closely aligned with, uh, and I'm like, that's actually kind of crazy. So, I'd say in this situation, it's definitely more closely related to Eveltal than Giratina. is still the undercurrent influence of all of this at the end of the day, though. So, um, anyways, those are the kind of series of legendary Pokemon that we get Around this time, so legendary Pokemon that come into contact with humans or are affected by humans, type of thing. Um, but uh, we're going to get into the final chapter now, um, and that's going to be it's going to be an interesting chapter. Okay, so we're going to have a bit of an interregnum here with the chapters which is that this is chapter four intervention now here's the thing is that kind of parallel to the timeline that we began with this would be the second part of the timeline and the second part of the timeline consists of when palkia dialga giratina the late guardians when they all come into existence I'd say that it's important to consider this as well, even if we don't explicitly place any of the following Pokemon in this timeline. So, space-time rifts, as I've mentioned, are likely influenced by Giratina riling up Palkia and Dialga, and Arceus is not able to consistently get a hold on that. Arceus is not able to stop Giratina from causing, causing, causing this trouble in the first place, right? And I think this makes it possible for other Pokemon, beings, and whatnot, to come from alternate dimensions, timelines, and space itself. So, um, what this is to say is that not all legendary Pokemon even come from the world that Arceus has created. Now, sorry, that's not the way to word it. There are legendary Pokemon that exist, and Arceus is likely still their creator, but not in the timeline that we're working with with all the legendary Pokemon we have here. It's it's an alternate universe, it's an alternate timeline. So, from Arceus, we have Palkia, Dialga, Giratina, and the Lake Guardians consistently with Arceus for all of the timelines. They are the root of everything. But the problem is, is that we do have alternate timelines where other legendary Pokemon have come into existence, but can also jump into this timeline, the one that I'm talking about right now. So, um, it's time to talk about a, cu- a couple of those Pokemon. So, Cosmog is accepted into the universe as a giver of light, um, but would only be acknowledged uh, by humans around the time that Cosmog became Solgaleo and or Lunala. Um, uh, And and Solgaleo and Lunala have the ability to open ultra wormholes, so then they can jump through dimensions pretty easily. Um, The final component of this trio um, is Necrozma, this would appear as well it's in quite a weakened state it also has the ability to it's also like symbolic of light um but it has a more kind of boxed like state when it's in its weakened state rather um so in the storyline of ultra sun and ultra moon we see the different forms that necrozma can take on whether it be by merging with solgaleo and lunala or its true form as ultra that type of thing and that's a lot of fun and necrozma is the creator of these other extraterrestrial pokemon known as ultra beasts um which have jumped through the wormholes just like these legendary pokemon um so then alongside uh or not alongside rather but the other you could say alien um pokemon include eternitus and deoxys so eternitus and deoxys would appear um, or hurl themselves towards the planet at different points in history, wherein the hero duo would stop Eternatus, and Rayquaza would aid in protecting the planet from Deoxys. So this is, in the case of Rayquaza, this is explicitly referencing Rayquaza being able to mega-evolve and the events of the Delta episode in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Um, but Deoxys coming to the planet, that canonically happens regardless of the games that you play. So the fact that we also have Pokemon, and Deoxys is supposed to be like a DNA-like Pokemon, so it is also possible that if, you know, if Mew is supposed to have the DNA of all Pokemon, then it, it is still connected to Eternatus and Deoxys, even though they are alien Pokemon in that sense. Um, but yeah, so that's where those Pokemon, I think, fit into things. Um, and then the final part of this chapter, is this is where intervention is not just from the pokemon side of things this is when the intervention is much more clear with humans that's fun um i feel like there's something i was trying to say earlier i was like ah no i'll leave it for later um i think it was the thing about curem which is that curem becomes there was a dna splicer in black two in pokemon black tube and white two Kyurem is fused with either Zekrom or Reshirim, depending on the game version that you play. Um, So, that is done by humans. So, that's a form of human intervention. But here are other explicit examples of human intervention that have not come up at any other point in the timeline. And thus, I place these legendary Pokemon closer to, you could say, present day in the Pokemon and the Pokemon world. so I also think that not only does human intervention, not only has it led to the creation of artificial legendary Pokemon, it's also led to the increased possibility of alternate timelines and uh, alternate dimensions. Because humans have also constructed the technology to be able to harness that power too. Um, uh, or it kind of just happens, I don't know, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire is a version of that. There's all these wormholes that just randomly appear um, in the post-game, I think, and you can just catch a bunch of legendary Pokemon. And then in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, you have the, like, actually a a specific component of the game where you either ride on Lunala's back or Solgaleo's back, and you can venture through a bunch of different Ultra Wormholes to find different legendary Pokemon in habitats that look quite surreal and absurd and not like it belongs to any part of the world, actually. just And Gamey will even tell you that you're, like, some light years ahead in the future or something like that. Like, it's crazy. Anyways, let's get into, uh, these Pokemon. So, Mewtwo is probably the, well, like, the most well-known, um, genetically created Pokemon. Um, it was created as a version, a mimic of Mewtwo- oh, sorry, Mewtwo was created as a mimic and a version of Mew- Um, but then it became much stronger than its human creators had anticipated after many failed experiments. Mewtwo is driven by a lot of hatred towards humans because of all the experimentation and stuff it went through. Um, this is a Pokemon that humans didn't even know they could create, basically. Then, we have Type Null in Alola, because Mewtwo is in Kanto. We have Type Null in Alola which is genetically modified based on information about Arceus that was found in the Canelade library. So basically, some scientists looked up stuff about Arceus, and Arceus has the ability to adopt any type. Arceus can be anything it wants, essentially. So um, this Pokemon was genetically created, Type Null was genetically uh, modified based on that idea. So Type Null, it evolves into a Pokemon named Silvally. Sylvali is only superficially... Um, reminiscent of Arceus because of its ability to change types but it's a mishmash of a bunch of different creatures um and is what I also can it's what I consider a failed copy of Arceus because it does not possess the strength um or have any of Arceus's qualities other than just having that ability to change its type because it's a very motley creation it's a bunch of different animals shoved into one being so poor Silvali, you know And then the last one we have going on here is Meridon. This is a clear example of uh, an alternate timeline situation, because in the region of Paldea, there's time travel. Because the legendary, the box art legendary are known as the Paradox duo, it's because Coridon comes from an ancient past, whereas um, Meridon comes from a much farther future. Um, here's the thing, though, of course, is we don't know what the future holds, right? And, of course, Paldea is already confronting that question with the existence of Paradox Pokemon, because the future Paradox Pokemon look a certain way, you know? Um, but the thing is that Miraidon, um, I think, would be a product of complications and timelines Dialga would create to mediate Giratina's power. So, if we operate under the assumption that, yes, okay, Dialga and Palkia don't get along all the time, sometimes they get riled up by Giratina, I would say that Dialga and Palkia do create alternate timelines as fail-safes for when something doesn't work. So if this is one version of a Pokemon timeline wherein you can place legendary Pokemon, then I think what they are doing is, uh, especially in the case of Dialga who controls time, it's like you gotta try and do other things and see what works And then Miridon would be, um, it would be brought back from the future into current-day Paldea. Um, and, but in order for Miridon to exist, Choridon also needs to exist, because it is said that, um, and a Pokemon that exists in the Paldea region known as Cyclozar, which is this lizard-like Pokemon that has this wheel-like protrusion on its chest, and most people use it like a bike, um, because Cyclozar exists, then, um, while Caridon is, while Cyclozar is not known to evolve into either Caridon or Miraidon, um the, the fact is that uh Caridon is like an ancient form. Cyclozar has like it's much smaller, less powerful, but it's definitely derived from Caridon. And in order for Miraidon to exist, so does Cyclozar. So we do know that like for Miraidon and Caridon to exist and all and also both be brought into the Paldea region, they both need to come from the same timeline. So, hello, folks. So, um, I have to make this aside here because, um, at the end of February 2023, we got some new Paradox Pokemon, but not just any Paradox Pokemon, Paradox Legendary Pokemon. So I feel like it's relevant to mention them, if not, like, even briefly, like, just something, a mention of these Pokemon because I think it's worth talking about. And I think this chapter is the best place to put them in because i'm not entirely sure but i gotta i gotta get into it so um we got two new paradox legendary pokemon they were teased at as they appear in the form of these books that you can find in pokemon scarlet and violet um uh and we didn't know their names but we did know what legendary pokemon they seem to have derived from so uh as is keeping up with the theme of past Paradox Pokemon and future Paradox Pokemon, it's one per each, so we have one from the past and we have one from the future. So the one from the past, which is derived from the legendary Beast Suicune, um, this one is known as Walking Wake. The second one, which is derived from Verizion, one of the Swords of Justice. Um, that is now called Iron Leaves. I'm gonna talk about Walking Wake first and then get it to Iron Leaves because I find Walking Wake slightly more confusing. So, appearance wise, Walking Wake is, um, it, it resembles Suicune greatly. It shares that, you know, huge purple mane type of thing. Although, the kind of key core difference between uh, Walking Wake and Suicune is that Walking Wake is way more reptilian. Like, it's not- which- and I would argue that Suicune is way more Mammalian, so I found this a bit staggering at first. Really cool Pokémon, really solid, the color palette is pretty much the same, only, like, there are some key differences with it being uh, Reptilian. Walks on two legs, it has these kind of red-orange spikes on its mane, and it's got two tails. Like, this thing's got an intense design, Walking Wake is- intense, it's got a really cool move, and it actually shares the same ability as Choridon. And to be fair, all Paradox Pokémon share the same ability as Choridon, which is Protosynthesis. So, um, it's a a really cool design, but again, like I said, I was thrown off by the fact that it's more reptilian in nature. Now, as I've mentioned before, the common story with Suicune is that it was, it perished in a tower, and it was brought back to life by Ho-Oh. So, um, it's unclear to me what the connection is between walking wake and suicune because there's very clearly a relationship um i don't I, I don't know like from a zoological standpoint or biological standpoint or like i don't I don't know the science of it i don't know how how you would quite explain this because this is definitely like a timeline issue probably but like I, i'm not quite like, sure how to explain the relationship between um suicune and uh, Walking Wake. And Walking Wake would have preceded human, um, like, the, uh, a human timeline. This, uh, Walking Wake would have definitely come before that because the Paradox Pokemon that come from the past are supposed to be quite ancient. They're much older in nature. So I, I feel like, um, there is something there but I'm not quite sure what to identify it as. So Sweetcon, I'm more confused by because they're very clear core fundamental differences between the two Pokemon, and then aesthetically they resemble each other. Um, so that's, that's what I just kind of find uh, kind of confusing. Then onto Iron Leaves, which is derived from Virizion. It's a little bit, not easier to explain, because anything from the future is difficult to explain. Maridon shares that problem, which is that it's from a future unknown. We don't actually know what the world is like, what the world of Pokemon is like in Maridon's timeline or the universe that it comes from type of thing, because it was forcibly brought back to present-day Paldea. Um, so with that being the case, um, see, Iron Leaves, more than, I'm actually going to, because I do have my game open, I'm going to um, look at it. It's not. Also, Walking Wake is really tall and humongous in a way that kind of differs from Suicune, because Suicune's big too. But um, uh, the thing with Iron Leaves is it's much closer in height and size to Verizion's normal form. And also, Iron Leaves just looks like a more—it looks like a robotic form of Verizion. There's not really any clear differences other than making it chrome, like. Um, that's really kind of it. Really cool design. Um, like, it's not necessarily doing anything special. Like, Walking Wake feels like it's a really intense, huge shift from what we know Suicune to look like. But Iron Leaves feels quite safe. Um, I can see that, like, in a way why they chose Verizion though. It just kind of works. Um, any of the Swords of Justice actually would have really worked in being this kind of robot-like, um deer creature you know it's actually it's kind of cool um but yeah so the thing with iron leaves is that it i think falls into the same camp as Maridon. this is all to say that so um it's pretty cool it's like it's like all other paradox pokemon too that when it's sleeping it actually is almost like powering itself down it's on sleep mode i find that kind of kind of cute but yeah so i wanted to bring up iron leaves and walking wake because i think they present an interesting conundrum um discussion to the topic of legendary Pokemon and how they fit into things and maybe how they don't fit. I think it's really, I think it's really cool. Um, and I can, and also it has been announced that, uh, it'll, uh, depending on when you listen to this, who knows if it'll be up. I have no idea when this ends up being listened to, but there will be DLC, um, later in 2023 for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. So, um, I don't know what the DLC holds, but there's going to be some new Legendary Pokemon in there, too. So that's going to be really interesting on how the Legendary canon, uh, legendary Pokemon canon continues to be expanded. So, now that I've made this aside, we can go back to the episode. Dialga's responsible for that. Um, and that's basically where we're at, folks, because um, as it pertains to Pokemon, um, this is about where things end. So in terms of where we go from here, first of all, I think things like where certain legendary Pokemon line up with human history, so humans coming into contact with legendary Pokemon explicitly, um, I I feel like for me, I'm gonna have to work through that a lot more personally, but I also feel like that needs to be like, it needs to be defined a lot more clearly because I get really confused with the years as well. That's a me problem. But the thing is, is that, going forward, we have to understand, like, um, Pokemon like Miraidon, are quite complicated to place. It is not easy to argue where exactly Miraidon fits into everything, because we have not even arrived at, at Miraidon's time. Miraidon comes from a different time, a different place, and for it to be unnaturally brought into the present, the ones that we're dealing with here, um, it's, it, it, it's, it makes things complicated. That's, that's the, the main point I want to drive here. Um, but what's interesting in mapping out all these legendary Pokemon and their relationships is that um, I, what I struggled with this timeline is that how active is Arceus in doing all of this? Because we know that the origin story from the Candlelight Library says that it basically went to sleep. But I also don't think that that's entirely true. I think to a degree it just took a backseat to things, and the same can be said about Palkia and Dialga, where once they didn't really need to do anything, they would just stop. But I feel like with a Pokémon like Giratina constantly lurking about, you can't just sit still. You can't just be twiddling your thumbs or your claws, or your t- t- hooves. You gotta, you gotta do stuff because Giratina, a Pokémon like Giratina, is a problem. You can't just, you can't just leave that to roam freely or if it is going to roam freely, you need to mediate how it affects things. So, um, the way I was trying to construct this timeline and stuff was to figure out, like, there's a lot of, like, themes, you know? Especially, like, based off of, like, where legendary Pokémon were, like, what their origins are, what they're, like, based on, so the forces of nature having connections to, like, Chinese zodiacs and stuff, or Kami, and then, um, uh, other deities and other religions and stuff. Um, some legendary Pokemon are much more explicit in that way, and then you have Pokemon like Groudon, Kyogre, and Rayquaza, or Xerneas, um, Xerneas, Iveltal, and Zygarde. Uh, I believe Hebrew mythology is part of what influenced Groudon, um, Kyogre, and Rayquaza, and then in the case of Xerneas, Iveltal, and, uh, zygarde it's norse mythology so there's a bunch of different places where we can look to see what influenced the creation of these legendary pokemon in the first place so the people that designed these pokemon um and came up with their lore like how did they conceptualize this and um we'd have to speculate mostly but it's like well, oh, because they have similarities to these um, mythological beings or creatures or stories and things like that, then to transpose that into the Pokemon universe and try and connect it and map it around with all the other legendary and mythical Pokemon in existence is a really complicated process. I mean, I have a lot of respect for people who have done this before, done it in a way that, I mean, I think my way was like pretty rough, um, but I... For anyone that likes Pokemon and is interested in these kinds of things, this is a lot of fun to do. I definitely recommend you do your own timelines too, because I wouldn't even say I like fully commit to this. Like I said, this is a this is a timeline that is subject to change. And I know that like maybe if I like replay the games or read up more and stuff, I know that I'll probably be like, ah oh man, I wish I hadn't said that because I changed my mind about that thing that I said in that part. Um uh it's I don't know, it's just a lot of fun and it's really cool. But the really complicated part of this as well is just trying to match this up to the human events cuz I think you can kind of wing it I think with the Pokemon events of things. And the beginnings are pretty clear. I'm like, "Come on, you you got to look at the Palkia, Giratina. They're totally Arceus is totally making them as an image of itself. Like, come on. It's like it's it's cool, but like also it's obvious. It's right there and Giratina also possesses the most gold. Um so that looks very similar to like the ornamentation that RC's has. So it's like it's just all connected folks and it's all just really cool. So I don't think I have really much else to say other than that. This was the timeline that I was, um I was working with. And that it's it's just a really cool thing to do. I'm happy I got to do this. And I know this was a pretty long form episode and very long winded and a lot of confusing details probably, but We made it to the end, I suppose, so this was little Research House findings on creating a timeline for legendary Pokemon. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and I'll see you next time.